Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, happy 2016. Good to have you here. We're sort of in that no man's land. Sort of vacation, sort of not. Monday's coming. Uh, so anyway, you're taking a step back into the routine and uh, good for you. And, and the start of the year, I think, is a great time. Uh, you know, it's just full of hope and promise, and you know, I'm going to be better this year. I'm going I'm 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 to eat right, and I'm going to exercise, and I'm going to whatever. You know, quit smoking. I'm going to keep my car clean. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to do all these various things, and a lot of that is born more out of uh, simple optimism than any reality. But uh, uh, I think there's something biblical there. We're told in Lamentations that God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, we not only get a second chance, we get a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a 400th chance, and a 5,000th chance. God's cadence is such that there's a new day every 24 hours, and it's sort of full of promise and freshness, and I think we just keep picking ourselves up and going, okay, well, could have done that better, but it's a new start, a new day, a new week, a new year, and so uh, we have that in front of us. And I want to I lean into a little bit of that um, optimism here. And a little bit of that energy and hope in uh, challenging you in this passage that we're looking at today out of Luke 16. And I just want to be clear at the front end um, of a couple things. First of all, this is a hard passage. And it's not just hard because it's hard to understand and we're going to read it and go, whoa, what is that even doing in the Bible? But it's hard because once you do understand it, (laughs) it's a little little bit of a kick in the gut. So... uh, there are passages I get to read. I was talking about this with uh, my wife last night. I go, you know, there's passages I get to read. It's sort of like God's love letter to us, and everybody gets to feel good. Or there's, oh, this is about grace, or oh, this is about this, and everybody's going to be happy and smile. She says, I don't do many of those. But anyway, there are those times when I can do that. And I said, and then there's times where it's just like, okay, step up so I can hit you with this baseball bat, uh, and it's going to hurt. So it's hard in that sense. But I also want to be clear that. My objective today is not to help you have a great start to 2016. I hope you do. And in reality, it's not even to help you end 2016 well, although I hope you do. And reality is uh, that would be an accomplishment because most resolutions don't see February, let alone see December. But that's not what we're getting uh, invited into. That's not what we're getting challenged to step up to. We're going to live forever And the mandate here is to live today in light of forever, to live today in light of eternity. And that uh, calls for us to do some things differently than we might otherwise do. And it's a big challenge. And so that's um, that's where we're headed. Again, it's Luke 16. There's a handful of uh, parables and stories and teachings that all go together here that have a a, a subtext of generosity. We're being encouraged to be generous people with our time and with our emotions and with our heart and with our forgiveness and with our money. Money is sort of the bellwether here, I think, because um, there's just a, a message in Scripture that says you can give money away and sort of technically check the box without having a generous heart. But you cannot have a generous heart without being generous with your money. It just tends to be a bit of a gauge on how things are going. And so uh, it, it comes up here um, in this 
first sort of uh, in a series of messages on the topic of generosity. Um, And again, if I take a step back, I'd say we're, we're being called to not be like Esau. So Esau, a character, uh, one of the patriarchs, one of the sons of Isaac. And Esau is sort of famous for being an, an idiot. Uh, Esau sells his birthright for a hot lunch. Uh, in a patriarchal society, the firstborn male had a number of privileges, extra money, extra power, all kinds of things. There's a birthright that goes to the firstborn male. That is Esau's. He sells it. He trades it away for a cup of soup uh, because he wants to eat right now, not in 10 minutes, right? Right now. I want what I want when I want it. I want it right now. And one of the ideas is that there's, there's often a lack of impulse control here. And we head down wanting what we want, and we're often willing to mortgage the future in order to have something right this moment. And uh, debt is an indicator of that. And of course, there's a lot. We've got, we got debt at, at our state and federal levels that I can't comprehend. And then there's just lots of personal debt out there. I think the average family has like $157,000 in debt, 15000 of which is on credit card, and very little saved. So everybody tends to just live right up to the edge. Uh, I think there's like 40% of people between the age of uh, 55 and 64 that have $12,000 or less saved for retirement. Um, So I'm not talking about retirement. Jesus isn't talking about retirement here. I'm not trying to stress you out on that. It's just an indicator that there's a lot of thinking like Esau's thinking. And when when we get this parable into focus... Part of what we're going to see Jesus saying about a scoundrel guy, a dishonest rascal embezzler, a guy that that you don't think he would be commending, he says about this guy, at least he was thinking ahead. And I wish my followers would think ahead. And again, it's not about the next 20 years. It's about the next 2,000 years, about the next 2 million years. We're going to live forever, and that should shape how we think and what we do with what we've been given, we are stewards. And so that all begins to come into focus here. Um, as we look at Luke 16, if you want to follow along with me, we begin with verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man uh, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So three characters here. There is there's the, the rich man. This is a stand-in for God. This is the one who has all the assets. There is a manager, so a steward, somebody that's managing a portfolio, right, an, an investment trust advisor or something. You've got a manager. That's us. And then you've got everybody else. So a critical first point here, and very little of what Jesus is going to say is going to make great sense to you unless you accept this first point. And it's a significant point, um, especially for Americans to embrace, because we tend to think of ourselves as self-made, right? I worked hard, I got up early, I, I took risk, I pushed, I, I'm, I, you know, I pulled myself up. I'm, that's the, 
Westerners generally, since the Enlightenment, tend to think in a very independent mindset, but Americans in particular, we tend to think this way. And so what I have is mine. What's mine is mine. I I earned it. And God says, uh, no. No, no, no. Everything everywhere belongs to me. I created it. So Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, God created out of nothing. He creates the world. He creates everything everywhere out of nothing. We manage and and manipulate and grow and position things. We start with something and can build it, but we have to start with something, right? We have to start with life. We have to start with intelligence or resources or opportunity or something. And all of that is a gift, in one sense, from God. And so God claims all rights. First Chronicles 29, David is praying at the dedication of the temple. And, uh, and he prays and says, it's good that we have this opportunity to contribute to this great temple. But let's just be real here. Everything we have came from your hands. Right? We're, just, we're just acknowledging that. So the first thing we have to understand is um, we're not the rich people. We're stewards temporarily entrusted with God's resources, whatever those may be. And we are accountable for what we do with those resources. Uh, we are expected to invest those resources according to the mandate, according to the guidelines of the owner. So God has given us directives, and this is, this is what he wants to see. We're not to use those assets for our comfort as much as we're to use those to advance his agenda, a, a, a community of grace and love and, and uh, care. So there's a rich man, God. There's a manager, us. And in this case, uh, the, the manager was uh, skimming off the top we'll say. And so the rich man, we don't know how he finds out, but he finds out. And so he calls this guy in and he asks, this is just a rhetorical question. He's not asking, but he just says, what's this I hear? Give an account. You cannot be manager any longer. So um, the manager now has to to figure out, uh, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm about to get fired. What am I going to do? I'm, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, I can go to HR and find out about COBRA payments and, you know, see if I can, I can uh, update my LinkedIn account. But what exactly am I going to do here? Verse 3, the manager says to himself, what shall I do? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. <clears throat> Some of us <laughs> are aware that our marketable uh, talents are not perhaps what uh, they once were, especially if it involves physical labor. So I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm, I'm too ashamed to beg. I'm probably not going to get the kind of job I just had. What am I going to do? And then he says, I know what I'll do when I lose my job here so that people will welcome me into their house, which basically means I'll get another job. I'll manage a different family office, right? I'll get another job. I'll, be, I'll leave UBS and go to Morgan Stanley, right? Whatever he's talking about, I know how I'm going to get another job as a manager of funds. He's about to tell us what he's going to do, but let me just note what he doesn't do. Okay? Uh, he's not going to argue the point, which is a little odd 
especially in that culture. As Americans, we, you know, we are, it's business, it's bottom line, it's increased shareholder value, it's very cut and dry. You know, you, we, we, we sort of lost the social contract between employer and employee. Uh, in the Middle East, that's not at all the way they would think about things. And so uh, a, a Middle Eastern person, especially in the first century, <clears throat> would be shocked by the response of the manager. There, there would be an expectation there's going to be a long discussion, right? How can you do this? My dad worked for your dad, and you're the god show, godparent of my children, and I was there when your mother died, and we go way back, and you can't just, you can't just fire me. Okay? But this guy is not going to contest it, which suggests he's guilty, he knows it, and probably he's just being a little coy after uh, advice from legal counsel, he decides not to say anything at all because he doesn't know what this guy knows. So he just uh, he goes in a different direction. Verse 5. So what am I going to do? I know i got a plan. So he calls uh, in each of his master's debtors. He asks the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied, which is a lot of money. So basically a year or two of wages. Uh, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Again, this is probably a year, two years of wages. Uh, take your bill and make it 800. And then here comes the surprise. Okay. Uh, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Is that in the Bible? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, so let me just, uh, let me just explain what's going on here, because it is, uh, it's crazy talk. It, it's important that we hear what Jesus is saying and what he's commending. There is a difference between saying to someone who is dishonest, hey, what you just did was very clever. Very shrewd, very thoughtful. There's a difference between that and saying to someone who's clever that what they just did is dishonest and you want to commend that. Right? So you can commend a dishonest person for being clever. We do not have Jesus commending a clever person for being dishonest. And those are quite different. Uh, now, it's shocking here, but again, I want, I want when we pull all this apart... What I want to be sure you see is what Jesus is thankful for and what he commends is at least this guy was thinking ahead. At least this guy was leveraging the moment and the assets that he had in such a way that he made provision for his future. So the guy's stealing, right? I mean, he's, he's embezzling money. He's skimming off the top. He gets caught. You would expect at this point that Jesus would say something like, repent, don't steal again, right? I mean, that's what we're expecting, right? And indeed, that's what we would 
hope this guy would do. But instead, he says, okay, um, I'm in trouble. I'm going to lose this job. I'm not likely to get another one this good. What am I going to do? I know I have a brief window of time here, just a couple hours when I still have the books, right? Because pretty soon he's going to come and take the books. And once he's got the books, then I'm completely done. But right now, nobody knows that I've been fired. So I've got this window, and if I move quickly, I can, I can set myself up for the future. And so he, uh, he acts in a way, goes, Jane, hey, Jane, uh, look, uh, how are you? Happy New Year. Hope the family's great. I really don't have much time to talk, Jane, so I just wanted to let you know two things. First of all, I'm in transition at the moment, Jane. So love to get together next week at Starbucks. I just, you know, I want to send you my resume. If you got any leads, let me know. Maybe you got something there I could do on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know those conversations. So I'm in transition, Jane. Um, secondly, Jane, I, I just got to clean up a few loose ends here. I show that you owe my boss $100,000, right? So, and then it goes one of two ways, and the text doesn't tell us enough to know. One of two things is said next. It could be that he says, Jane, my boss and I were talking, and we actually like you. We think you're a good person. And so he's willing to take that $100,000 debt and reduce it to $50,000. And we just really appreciate you, Jane. And uh, so, you know, I hope to meet you next week over coffee to talk about my job search. That could be one thing. The other thing that he might do is to say, Jane, I'm looking for a job, da-da-da-da-da. And Jane, uh, I show that you owe 100000 Jane, I'm going to write this down as 50000 Okay? Did I let you know that I'm looking for a job? Right? So it could be that. We don't know. Either way, it's sort of an ingenious plan. Because he creates a scenario in which there's a lot of goodwill generated in a lot of different directions. First of all, whoever has their debt forgiven, however it's forgiven, is feeling good about that. Wow, my balance sheet just improved. I owed 100000 I owe 50000 This is great. So it could be that that person is feeling good. Secondly, if he is stealing from his boss, which I think is probably what happened, then he's just sort of positioned himself as Robin Hood. I got a rich boss. $50,000 doesn't mean anything to him. So I'd rather you have it, right? I'm Robin Hood. Steal from the rich, give to the poor, look at me. I'm a vigilante, I'm a crusader, I'm a good guy, and I'm looking for a job. Uh, so it could be that, that he's creating goodwill for himself, or it could be that he's creating goodwill for himself, but more for his master, because my master is agreed with me. I, I stood up for you. It was my idea. But he's agreed to write this down by 50000 right, which generates goodwill for the master. We believe, from what little we can sort of read back into this, the master's probably a nice guy because what he could have done is have his dishonest manager arrested. Right? I mean, that was an option. He's not doing that. He's just sort of letting the guy go. So he seems to be a generous person. So he is generous, but this makes him look even more generous. It also sort of ties his hands behind his back, because can you imagine him saying a couple weeks later, hey, you know what, cleaned up the books and discovered that uh, there was a little bit of creative math going on in the last, uh, in, 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 last week. After he left, he had no right to do that. You don't owe me 50000 You owe me 100000 
Okay. Well, that's going to generate a lot of ill will, and so he probably doesn't want to go down that path. So when he figures out what the guy's done, looking at the books, he goes, well, <laughs> okay, you're quick, right? That's clever. Uh, that's that. You know, you're thinking ahead. Okay, you know, well, good for you. You're probably going to land on your feet. Okay. So Jesus commends this guy for that, and he says to them and consequently to us because remember a parable is inviting us into a story where we get to see things we might not otherwise see and then Jesus is helping us understand a little bit more specifically what's going on saying you know my followers are often not very savvy on some of these kinds of dealings and I'm frustrated by that this guy's dishonest. He's a child of the darkness. It's clear he gets what's going on. He's a child of the darkness. You don't want God calling you a child of the darkness. He's a child of the darkness, but at least he was using what was available to him at the moment to secure a better future. And you would do well to think about that for yourself. Now, there's some other things here we could think about. This whole idea that Christians are often naive when it comes to business, I see that. We can think about the fact that sin leads to more sin. The guy steals initially, and then it leads him into a situation where he's got to steal even more, right? We could, we could think about uh, how this guy sort of leans into the graciousness of his boss. He thinks his boss is gracious, and so and the boss is a God figure, and so he leverages that. I mean, there's a variety of different things we could unpack here. I want to be certain that you clearly understand that we are being encouraged. This seems counter-Christian to many people. We are being encouraged to look out for our own best interest in light of eternity. And so we're being encouraged to think differently about the assets and opportunities that are available to us today. Now let me take another step back and just be be clear. There's, There's two almost contradictory ideas I'm trying to get across here. Every week there's two. (laughs) There's a tension always out there. On the one hand, I want to be very clear. The good news, the gospel, the message that we get in this book, the central story in this book is God's so good, so loving, so gracious, so kind, he will meet you where you are. You don't have to do anything. You don't, have to, you don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to whatever, do all these things in order to earn God's favor. God has a heart for you. He's there for you. He will meet you where you are. That's the good news. Christ died. And we don't add anything to Christ's death. We don't need to. It's completed. Right? So it's the grace of God. It's favor against merit. We're, we actually deserve the opposite, but God is looking at us with love. So embrace the love, embrace embrace the grace. So that's point one. The other side of this is that doesn't mean then that you just go do whatever willy-nilly you want to do. Once you understand that grace should change our heart, it should change our life. We should say, wow, God's treating me graciously. I want to treat others graciously. Wow, all the things that I'm being given, all the things I'm being forgiven, I want to be a generous person in every direction that I can be a generous person. And we are held accountable to be generous. That's that's where the tension comes in. It's all free and we're held accountable. And I don't know what to say other than if you take the parables 
and you look at all of the parables that Jesus teaches, about half of them are in this, it's all free, it's all grace. And about half of them say, get up early and work hard. Be kind and loving. <laughs> so, so we're going to look next week, and as we continue in Luke 16, we're going to get to the, <clears throat> the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And I'm going to just point out that the, that, the, that the future options that we have are not quite as binary as most people think, heaven and hell. They are, but there are degrees of reward just as there are degrees of punishment. Again, it's not an easy passage. What Jesus says about eternity is not always easy for us to hear. There's a great promise here, but there is also an admonition. Live today in light of eternity. You are going to live forever. You would be a fool, an Esau, if you traded the opportunities you have to do things for God's kingdom for present comfort. Right? If you say, I actually want my cup of soup right now, and I'm not willing to wait 10 minutes, so I'm willing to just sort of give up future benefits for the soup right now. No, no, no. Don't do that. We're being encouraged to be generous. <clears throat> so let me begin to sort of round the corner here and, and point us towards communion, which we're about to take, and, and just be a little bit more specific in my challenge. Uh, I, I have a benefit uh, in my life that some of you do not have. Uh, and that is um, my particular wife. So I grew up in a family where my parents both grew up very poor. And so there was a real scarcity mindset. Uh, just something you just absorb as a child, right? We're worried about not having enough. My dad had a good job, worked hard. We had plenty. But there was always a fear that there might not be enough. And so you held on to money, you saved, you didn't spend, you didn't give it away. You didn't give it away, giving it away. Oh my goodness, why would you give it away? No, we need more, we need more, we've got to be secure. So when I came to faith, the idea of giving money away was uh, like, really? That's the expectation. Okay, huh. Yeah, I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I was signing up for the whole heaven thing. But this, giving money, uh, I don't know. And it took a while to start exercising those giving muscles. Then we got, I got married, and my wife has the gift of giving. And, and it was just like, yeah, she's just like wanting to give it all away, and I'm trying to hold on to it. Like, no, you can't do that. And, but over time, I realized, no, uh, we do, in fact, want to be ridiculously generous. That would be a good thing to be, right? To live below our means so we could give more away and help more people. And so I just want to say, you know, that's what we are invited to do. Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal, right? As opposed to holding on to it now for some 10 minutes of comfort, now, uh, many of you are generous. Thank you, thank you. This is not, by the way, this is not about our budget. Uh, you know, you think, oh, we missed budget. I can see it now. Here it comes. No, this, this passage was mapped out 18 months ago. I knew I'd be preaching on Luke 16 now. This does nothing to do with our budget. 
and in terms of our budget, as Anson said, you know, we had a strong December. Uh, and so we missed by a few percent, but we're, we're, we're moving forward. I'm not talking about our budget now. And I, I want to say, this, many of you are generous. Uh, in December, in December, right, we sponsored, you sponsored 1,200 kids uh, through Operation Christmas Child, getting them, you know, food and some medical stuff and other things as well as presents. Great. There's like 85 families that get Christmas. The kids, one of the parents is, is incarcerated and they get Christmas locally through the local uh, Angel Tree program and our work in the jail. Great. Thank you. And uh, we built a second Matthew home, right? So money that comes in out of the offering that we are able to, to reposition. And so we bought a house in North Chicago for $21,000, put another $30,000 of your, our money into it. 120 of you worked on the house, right? And so we now have a house that's worth probably $100,000. we have got, you know, not, not even sixty in it. We sell it at cost, financing it with a no-interest loan for a single mom. And then the money that she pays is going to go into the next house. And it's great. And we took money out of the offering that you gave to send it to Chennai, India. Uh, right? There's massive flooding in Chennai. We have a mission partner there. And so we sent money to Chennai. I'm going to Chennai next month. Uh, they've asked us to consider uh, building a school for the children of uh, of the women who are being sexually trafficked. And so it's apparently just un- an unthinkable situation. Some of these kids are under the bed or they're under the floor and they're just they're just it's so our hope, our plan, our work with this with this mission has been already to say, okay, let's rescue the women, let's figure out how we get them job training, let's figure out how we get them loans, micro loans, so they can so they can actually have a life and a job, right? But the but the first thing they're saying, okay, what we need right now, we've got to help these kids. Would you be willing to come in and help these kids? And so we're like, yeah, we want to, we want to do that. We want to do that. We want to be generous. And so I'm going to take a look at this. So the money that you give in the offering is being used in a lot of different ways, and you're volunteering your time, and you're tutoring in public schools, and we got people starting, a, you know, we got attorneys working in a free justice clinic at the Crossroads campus, and we got, you know, cars, there's all kinds of things going on. Many of you are being generous. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Uh, some of you, not so much. I don't know. I don't look at numbers. We keep things pretty confidential around here. But I just know generally, right, at churches across the country, half the people give nothing. So if those statistics are right, half of people here give nothing. Um, no, that's not who you want to be. Right? You don't want to be an Esau, right? You want to be generous. You want to you be generous in every direction. And that includes money. And money may be your biggest hang-up. I, you know, I got people say, oh, I donate my time, I donate this. No, dude, you're going to have to part with some money. I mean, it's, this has clearly got a death grip on your heart. You're going to need to do this. So I just want to encourage you, if you're giving nothing, give something. <laughs> step up. Take a first step. Let me suggest you give 1%. 1%. You say, you know what, I'm going to do this. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I think, I just, you know, this is my, these are my convictions, it's been our family's convictions, that 10% is the floor, and it goes to the church, and then more goes on top of that, and that's what we've been trying to do to give 
just keep marching up the percentage of money that we're giving away every year. And, and I, I want to say, if you think that sounds crazy, like 10%, are you kidding me? No, so let's just think about this through God's perspective. Okay, so God's perspective is 100% of this is mine. You're the, uh, you're the money manager. The deal I'm offering you is you get to keep 90%, but I'm expecting a return on the 10%, right? I mean, nobody gets that deal, right? You don't go to, a, you don't go to some stockbroker and say, okay, I got, a, you know, I got a $10,000 or $100,000 or $2 million I want to invest. You get to keep 90%, but I, I want a return on the 10, right? No, it's, it's never like that. That's what God is saying to us, right? And by the way, when he talks about that 10% and when people don't give the 10%, uh, he doesn't say, well, they got a generosity problem. What God says about people that don't do that is he goes, you're thieves. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty harsh stuff. So I want to encourage you, if you're giving nothing, get in the game, right? You're going to stand before God accountable for everything. There is a day of reckoning. You don't want to say, yeah, no, I kept it all. All the stuff you gave to me, yeah, I kept it for myself. And if you're giving some good, again, thank you, I'd encourage you to step it up. I, I'm only encouraging you to do what I think is right what we do. I'd encourage you to step it up. Be more generous. Isn't that what you want to be, is more generous in every direction, with your heart, with your friendship, with your time, with your love. You will never have enough, right, that you don't feel like you need more. The secret to contentment is not having more. The secret to contentment is being generous. Once you become generous... Then, then some of that stranglehold that you can feel goes away. So, Jesus is saying to us, right, be wise. There are opportunities in front of you. Time, your talent, your giftedness, your relationships, your money, all those things. Use those to secure for yourself a greater future. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generosity to us, uh, that you are generous with your grace, that we get new starts over and over and over, and that your love is, uh, flows in our direction. We thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you were generous with your life and all the riches that you had. You gave those up uh, for us. We thank you for that. Help us to be good stewards of all the many gifts that we have been entrusted with. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.